You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, whether it's a solo reflection episode or a conversation with someone who inspires and intrigues me, my hope is for you to feel a little bit less alone on this wild and windy journey of being human and that you give yourself a shit ton more compassion for who you are, for what you're feeling, for what you've gone through, that you can see that uh, life is often not a straight line. I hope that you hear things new, give yourself some different perspectives, or remind yourself of some that you have and have forgotten because we are human and we forget. Life is a journey and it is not about what your life and your choices look like to others, but how it feels to you. Claim your joy, claim your worth, claim your fulfillment right freaking now. On today's episode, I had such an amazing conversation with Maud Arnold. She is known as one of TAP's leading ladies. TAP's meaning tap dancing. She's a member of the female tap band, the Syncopated Ladies. They're widely known for viral videos that have over 70 million views. She's doing so, 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 so much. Uh, She's also a producer, a choreographer, a community leader. I really love this conversation, and I know you're going to love her too. Please follow the podcast, subscribe if you have not, and leave a review. Uh, Reviews really help the podcast become more discoverable so more people can be out there claiming their life. All right, here we go. So I love starting with, you can go even earlier than this, which, yeah, I I wonder with your journey and especially being in dance, if it started earlier in this, because I normally start with people in high school. Like, I feel like high school is such an, in teenage years are such an interesting time for, for being human and like more pressure on like, who am I in the world and who am I going to be and what's next and all of that. So I like to hear about high school, but again, I don't, your journey, especially with dance may have started earlier than that. I'm assuming. Yeah. My journey with dance started when I was like three and then never ended but I would say more seriously picked up when I was like seven. Got it. And was that just like most, you know, a lot of parents are like, oh, yeah, let's sign our kids up for dance. Like at a strip, at a strip mall dance center. Like it was, you know, it was like a studio next, you know, in between a convenience store and a chocolate store, which was random and took ballet, jazz and tap. And yeah, I was like three. When I look back at videos, we were literally just running around and there was music playing. But then I started really, really taking dance when I was seven, like real tap class. Got And did you, you stay with it all those years? Cause yeah, my oldest, I probably signed her up for a dance class probably around the same time. Yeah. She was probably three, maybe three or four. And it was a mixed class of like, yeah, ballet, tap and was it, I guess, just ballet and tap. But anyway, but yeah, they're like, it's so cute to watch, but they don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> they don't do anything, but it's so good to get them, you know, just acclimated in the classroom around other kids. So yeah, that's basically what I did. Like, it wasn't like, this is the best school for you to go to. No, it's just like the intro. Um, but it's interesting because most dancers who are professional, I would say, started like as children and started pretty young because I know you were saying like high school, but high school I feel like is where you 
really decide, am I going to really pursue this? Because high school is where you get all the other distractions like cheerleading and sports and what school do I want to go to? And then academics. And am I going to become, you know, like the queen of the school of academia? And am I just going to focus on the chess club or whatever it is? But I would say that dance was a constant. The, the hardest thing for me to continue my dance training was that the studios that I was a part of were always these like very small owned by black women studios that kept getting shut down because of gentrification. And so there was like, we kept losing our homes, our dance homes. And that was the hardest thing because you would, we would have like some amazing studios. Great. And then, Oh, the MCI center is being built. So the people are kicking all the artists out of this building and are going to make condos. Like that happened to us like four times. And that was difficult, which also really has informed and where did my, you grow up? In Washington, D.C., in D.C. proper. So D.C. was changing so much because um, I grew up there in the 90s. I'm an 80s baby. and uh, But it's funny because uh, my sister and I used to own a studio here in L.A. on Olympic and Fairfax. And we got kicked out because of gentrification in 2019. By billionaire um, real estate developers. Okay, I'm going to go back in time because, yeah, I normally start in high school. But so you started when you were three, but then you said you got like something happened at age seven. Did you take classes that whole time? And at seven, it's just you're more like, I guess, because, yeah, that's like first grade. At seven, is it more like your choice or like it just got more complicated and evolved? Seven, we changed studios and seven became a more serious studio. And the owner of that studio had been on Broadway. She was really young. When I look back in retrospect, I'm like, oh my God, she was like 28. She was a baby too. But she was on a Broadway show. Her Broadway show closed and she's like, I want to open a studio. And it was just a one room studio, but the training was like real training, real discipline. Come on time. You know, do, it was discipline. So that's why I'm saying seven is probably, was the pivotal point because that's when it was like, you really have to commit to this. And I wanted to quit like halfway through the year because the teacher made me cry. I remember it to this day. We were stretching in second in jazz class and I'm the most unflexible person naturally you'll ever meet. And she was like, go lower. And I was like, I can't. And she was like, you're lazy. You don't even try. And she like lectured me about laziness and I started crying. So I came back and I said, mom, I want to quit dance. I hate it. I hate dance. I hate Miss Dana. And... <laughs> This is 30 years ago. And I remember this like it was yesterday. And my mom was like, what did you do? And I was like, oh, I didn't do anything. And my mom was like, yeah, what did you do? And I was like, Miss Dana was mean. And my mom said, well, uh, she said, what are you going to do on Saturdays at one o'clock instead? And I was like, watch TV. To which her response was, do you want to be homeless? Now, I don't know if she was threatening to kick me out of the house or if the thought was, if you don't complete a task, you will be homeless. Um, however... She said, you will finish the year because you finish things you start and then we'll reevaluate at the end. And then of course I became a star student and it was amazing. And the funny thing is that Miss Dana from 30 years ago is our number one volunteer and registrar at our tap festival in DC. I literally text messaged her. I was talking to her on Mother's Day because she wished me a happy Mother's Day. I don't have children, but she said, like me, you ladies don't have children yet, but we raise children. Cause we do like, she helped raise me 100%. She's, you know, and I love that. I got a few mother's day messages from like 
parents of kids that I, my village children, because uh, I take that very seriously. But yeah, so then I kept dancing. My mom at the end of the year was like, mm-hmm, now you're in the front row, you got a solo, mm-hmm, you're singing a different tune. But I have to say, I'm thankful that my mom didn't just like take my side. I feel like that happens so much with parents these days. They just like listen to everything their kids say, like with no questioning of it. You know, it's different if you're like, you know, this person hurt me or this person, you know, violated me or touched me or whatever. But it's like, kids need to be disciplined. I was just disciplined. And yes, I was being lazy. So she just called me out and I cried. It's like I called out and I love it. I'm a better person because of it. And I call my students out just like she did to me. <laughs> and so, I mean, I'm sure you maybe don't remember, but like going back in seven and being like, okay, I mean, we're just like, fine, I'll finish this year. Like, I'll get through it. But like, what approach did you then take? Like, did you like, do you know if you were like, I'm going to try to win her over or just I'm going to keep my mouth shut or like, you know, like, or just like, well, I'm getting through this. There were only four of us in the class. Oh, so lots of attention. So I came (laughs) back like, I'm going to be amazing. That's how I came back. Like, I'm going to try my best. I'm not going to be lazy. And it worked. Because the thing is, is that I was always like very social and stuff. So when it came down to like things that were hard for me, I was like, yeah, I would kind of like fall back from it. And like school was always very easy for me too. And so I, I was fell into lazy because, you know, when, when things are easy, come easy for you, sometimes you can become lazy. And so my mom, she really scared me a lot when she asked me if I wanted to be homeless. And again, I don't know what threat that was, but, um, she doesn't remember saying it. I remember it so vividly. I was sitting at a kitchen counter. I, I remember this, like it was yesterday. And I was like, did she just threaten to kick me out? But it was like, you finish what you start period. Yeah. Yeah. So. That reminds me of your story. Like I, before I was, before I knew what the conclusion was going to be. And if you like went back when I was in high school, yeah, I did. I had no, I had no interest in being in school. <laughs> like, uh, and things did come pretty in, things came pretty easy to me. Like I wasn't the smartest, but I know that like I could study real fast before a test and get a A or B, like, you know, like a B. And I was like, fine with that. So like, I didn't care about like being the smartest. I didn't want to flunk, but whatever. And, you know, there's certain classes, especially I was like, I don't like this at all. So I figured out my ways to like pass. I remember chemistry class, Mrs. Fry called me out. Mrs. Fry, like, I didn't want, like, I was just, like, making do. And I don't know what she said, but she basically said something to the fact, like, you know, that did, like, it, like, made me, you know, like, like, I think she saw that I had potential, but I was, like, just, like, skating by. So she said something to me that really got under my skin. And so then I was like, I'll show you, Mrs. Fry. Like, I don't care about chemistry. And I just still did not go on to pursue chemistry. But I was like, I'll show you and I'm going to get A's on everything. <laughs> but that's a good teacher. And I, that's she's a one good of, teacher. She may be the only teacher's name from high school who I remember. Even I loved math. I don't, I can't name any of my math teachers. All I remember is Mrs. <laughs> challenging me. So I have a weird memory. I have a abnormally good memory. That's the first thing, particularly for names. And my mom was a school teacher. So I think I like made it a point to remember. I remember the funny thing is I remember the best teachers and the worst. The, the middle teachers, because, you know, you, you remember how people make you feel. 
So that teacher made you feel challenged and like really like pushed you. So of course you remember her, but I mean, teachers are just the greatest gift. They, I wish that they all made millions of dollars because they save lives every day, all day, a hundred times a day, thanklessly. Like it's crazy. So shout out to your teacher that pushed you because you might not be where you are right now. <laughs> no, seriously. And I have, I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old right now. So we're like kindergarten in first grade and like, yeah, teachers, like I can't even wrap my head around what they do. And so when you were talking about that too, getting Mother's Day um, text message as a like dance teacher, I was like, oh yeah, I get that. Like, yeah, even you, you might only, well, I don't know how involved your classes are, but if, even if you're dropping off a kid for a 45 minute class once a week, that it's like, they are having a big impact. (laughs) Our kids become family. I mean, I have kids asking me about hygiene, about sex, about everything. No, my They likely feel safer asking you those questions than their parents. And they might even listen more to you than a school teacher or their parent. Like, I don't like the different no, connection they definitely, you have. Yeah, because it's different and there's a different trust because also like when you're a dance teacher, there's a level of vulnerability that you, if you're, if you're a good dance teacher, that you also aren't afraid to share with your students. Like, so sometimes I teach teachers and I always tell them like, you know, if something's hard for you, let your student, like you can say it to your kids, like, Ooh, this one's hard for me. Let's work on it together. Or like, I was like, kids need to also see your vulnerability because it makes them trust you more. So when you're asking them to do really hard things for them, they're going to be more willing to go for it. Like nobody needs to be perfect. My kids see me struggle all the time. I'll be like, what did I do? I forgot. You know, it's a running joke. Miss Maude always forgets. Yep. I have no idea what I just did. Show it to me again. You know, or I'll be like, Ooh, my knee hurts today. Can when you guys do the toe stand for me? Cause my knee hurts, you know? vulnerability. They know I'm not perfect. I know they're not perfect, but we're all trying our best. Yeah. That's interesting. And I wonder how it will like in even parenting different ways. Cause I do the same sort of thing where it's like, you know, Oh, I know. Well, I'm get scared sometimes too. Or like, you know, whatever. It's like starting a new class, whatever the nervous. I know. I understand that. You know what? I get nervous when I'm going somewhere and I don't know. And so then I like touch them from my, like whatever, and I didn't really think about it that way. But now when you're saying that, it's like, yeah, I wonder how differently that does affect how they're showing up in the world rather than if I had taken the stance on like, well, you got like, just like you got like, you could still pump them up that way. But me being like, I get it. I know. I still feel like that. And in some ways, they're like my last man, they're like, but mom, you're an adult. You know everything. Like sometimes they'll get like upset with me when I'm like honest with them. Like, you know what? I don't know. Let's look into that. Like, <laughs> Uh-huh. But that's important because then, because it's also important for them to know that because then when they become adults and they're lost, they're not like, damn, I'm a failure. My mom knew everything. You know, I still think about that now. That I'm like, how does my mom know so much? I still feel like my mom low key knows everything. She's also a, like a genius. I, I don't doubt like, and also, yeah, you said she's been a teacher like this whole time. Too. No, she's abnormally intelligent. She's 71 and she just left Uganda. She was in Uganda for three weeks doing French to English, simultaneous simultaneous interpreting for heads of states and presidents. Trisha here. You likely know that I am obsessed with Sprout Living and their amazing plant-based protein powders. They're not just protein powders, they're blends. Because besides having organic plant proteins 
They have superfoods, adaptogens, nootropics, and prebiotics, and they freaking taste delicious. I used to have to buy so many ingredients to make a smoothie, and so at this point in my life, that became overwhelming. (laughs) So I stopped making smoothies because it was like, okay, great, here's this protein powder, but it tastes terrible, so let me keep adding things to try to make it taste better. Or I would buy a protein powder that had a flavor, and it was just a funky taste filled with like weird sweeteners or extra additives and flavoring. The thing is, they don't regulate it. You can throw in all sorts of different products and they actually end up being highly processed and cause bloating. Did you know that? So Sprout Living only uses the best of the best. They're third-party tested. They are free of GMOs, soy, gluten, dairy, nuts. And again, they just taste so freaking good. So all you need is a couple scoops of the powder. I sometimes even just use the powder in water (laughs) in a shaker bottle to be able to get those nutrients and feel good when I'm on the go. So they make it super easy and super delicious to be making a smoothies or just drinking it on the go. But something new that I'm in love with, they have these adaptogenic mixes and the immunity one has been saving my life. I have a kindergartner and a first grader. Do you know the germs that these kids come home with and then are coughing in my face? So I'm so used to cycling through the colds with them. And ever since I got my hands on the immunity from Sprout Living, I haven't gotten their germs. Like they are miserable and I'm taking care of them and they're all over me and I stay feeling good and I am seriously shocked and I have to know that it is from using the immunity powder. Like, and I only use it like once a day when they're sick and it freaking works. So check out the Color Fuel Immunity. If you go to SproutLiving.com, you can use code CLAIMIT20 on all the products. I would definitely pick up the immunity one, have it on hand for when you get start to feel sick or around sick people. And then my favorite um, of the protein powders, it's hard to choose. The matcha flavor is amazing. The coffee is amazing. Vanilla is a good one to go with if you're not really sure. But again, all the flavors are spot on and the perfect sweetness with no funky weird aftertaste. Go check them out, sproutliving.com. Use code CLAIMIT20 for 20% off. Oh my God. That's bananas. I was just talking to Jason Mraz yesterday. We were, I was recording yesterday with him and he was in France doing press. And we were talking about how he was, he shared a clip about, he shared a clip, a reel. And I was asking him about that. Like, so yeah, he's like on French radio. So not as serious as that, but still like this person is talking in French and there was someone whispering in his ear in English at the same time. And he was like, we were talking about how insane that that guy is able to translate while he's hearing things like at the same time. And that's what like, you're just like, I was just talking about this yesterday. And then you were just saying your mom was doing that's it for, really funny. And for, then it for was, and it was like French. top, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that. But your mom was doing it on a whole nother level for people. <laughs> Wow. She's done like Kamala Harris. She's done Bill Clinton. Yeah, she's done the top of the top. And she's older and she still is fast because sometimes she has to do medical stuff. That's the hardest one because it's like words we wouldn't even know in English. But um, she's from France. So, yeah, that's what she used to be a teacher, but then she retired. And then um, now that's what she does in her retirement. 
Wow. That's amazing. But no, so getting back to, yeah, with like, am I like ruining my kids? But no, that, that is true because what if we, cause I think so many times as adults, we grew up and then we act as if once we get to this age or this job or make this much money, then we're going to have it all figured out. Like we, I think that so often, but what if we, as kids were like, wow, these people are still figuring it out too. Like that. It's like <laughs> that they don't have that. I wonder if that will affect them differently. Whereas, yeah, like I think adults, like I was born in, I'm like, what am I? 81, 1981. That it is like, then it is this sort of idea of, right. So then I, we, yeah, there's some level where we suddenly know it all. And then we start feel like this shame because we don't know it all. And we're still figuring out, but that's being human. Oh, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Nobody has all the answers. They don't. And I also think kids respond better and want to do better when they actually know the truth. Like, think about it. Everybody loves, let's say, like, Iron Man or Marvel, right? I'm a, I'm a big Marvel fan as well. We love these superheroes because we watch them get over their adversity. Like, Superman has kryptonite. Iron Man doesn't have a heart. All of these things. And it's like, we know their weakness. And that's why we celebrate their triumph so much more. Because we know their vulnerability. And so I think as adults, it's not a problem to share vulnerability. Because there's still adult things that they don't know about that they shouldn't know about that you keep secret from them, of course. But like being like, I don't know. Or like, oh, this is hard for me. It's good for them to know. And then they also encourage you. I had an 11-year-old encouraging me last week when I was doing my shots for my um, egg freezing. And she's like, you can do it, mom. You can do it. She was the one pep-talking me through it. She's 11. Because I was like, I can't do this. It hurts. I hate it. (laughs) Oh, that's true. My kids will like give, yeah. And I'll be like, oh, I'm nervous about something today. They're like, you can do it, mom, (laughs) which is really And then it empowers them as an important voice. Yeah. They feel good being that person cheering on. All right. Let's jump back into, so seven years old, (laughs) then you end up being the star of the show. Did you, so then like, yeah, how does it like the dance life evolve from there. Cause I didn't really, I took ballet. I think when I was like five, we have wonderful photos of me in a tutu from my performance. And that was it for me. <laughs> but I know like, especially now parent friends and their kids are like in these intense, you know, da- traveling for dance performances and all sorts of things. Like was your life dance from a very young age or when did that start to escalate? So dance was always a constant. I think kids now train more than I probably did growing up because I also did other things. I played basketball. I played outside. I was a brownie. My sister was a Girl Scout. I've had a job since I was eight years old. I've helped. I've contributed. I contributed rent since I was eight years old. I swept hair at a barbershop. So I'm a single mom. So I had all these other activities as well. But let me tell you, dance saved our lives, me and my, my sister and I, um, because it gave us like a safe space away from home, responsibility, accountability, and a family, and a second family. So the way ours worked was we had classes, but we never competed. Our teacher was very anti-dance competition, but we performed everywhere. So we perform at like street festivals, uh, old folks' homes. We even perform, used to perform, I don't know what the what the politically correct term is right now, but asylums for the criminally insane. 
Um, and she would say, dance is for everybody. Dance is healing. Dance is for everybody. You will share this with everybody. And that directly influenced how I approach it as a professional. And, you know, I have a foundation with my sister. Just all of the community work we do was instilled in us as a young age, at a young age. And again, empowering us. At nine years old, I was going into these like places that were essentially like prisons and performing for these people and seeing how they were affected by it. And also understanding like, uh, just because you're here doesn't mean you're bad or doesn't mean you're evil or doesn't mean you're unredeemable. Um, and so that's how ours went. And then my senior year of high school, I got a full scholarship to dance at the Debian Dance Academy in LA. And I moved to LA and lived with my godmom. And I graduated from high school in LA. And I danced at Debbie Allen's. And then I went to college in New York at Columbia University. Wait, so um, the Debbie Allen, was that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, well, I do love, I mean, again, I'm not like, a dance like mom I'm sure like that's it just seems like a lot to me too like the traveling for the competitions and stuff but like whatever you know no judgment of that that cycle and stuff too but like I do love that your teacher was not into that like was you know like here yes we're gonna perform but not competing um so the Debbie how did very good sorry to interrupt we were like the best tap dancers in DC the other things we didn't compete, but we were the, we were the best, like, but we had a performance company. So it was just, the thing is that competition can be great. I actually work for one, but I, what I love about the competition convention I work for is that there's no placings and there's no trophies or winnings. Everybody, you just get feedback, like you get professional feedback because at dance competitions and most of them, everybody wins. And that's just not real in life. Like, I believe in, like, a participation uh, acknowledgement. You know, maybe get, like, a shirt or something. But the reality is, is that in life, there's usually top three, just like the Olympics. And I find sometimes kids don't don't know how to lose. And learning how to lose is being, becoming a, a good loser is, is important because the lose or the loss can help you. Like, right before I got on this call, I got... I found out that I didn't get a grant, a business grant that I applied for and it did not affect my mood at all. And then I saw all the other women who got the grant. I said, good for them. And I really am like, good for them. This wasn't meant for me. On to the next. What's the next grant I, I can apply for? But had I been used to winning, I'd be like, I can't believe that I didn't win, win this grant. Oh, this they're stupid for not picking me. Oh, maybe it's because my business isn't good enough. Maybe I'm not good enough. No. I'm like, okay, what's the next one? I learned how to lose again from playing sports because I did play basketball when I was younger. I'm, I was tall for my age when I was younger, so I would play basketball. But then at high school, I had to choose dance or basketball because also my mom was like, how the hell are you getting around everywhere? And I, it's too expensive. Like you got to choose one. And I had a scholarship to dance and I love dance. So, and then I went to performing arts high school. So free dance. So that, so the Debbie Allen, that was a whole, like, was that your whole high school experience? Or did you start high school in D.C. and that, like, finished? Yeah, I started high school in D.C. and I would go to Debbie on Dance Academy summer intensive, which still happens to this day. And it's amazing. And we would actually live with Debbie Allen over the summer, my sister and I. What? And then, yeah, no, she's she is the greatest. And then... Not, but um, not like everybody. Was that just somehow, like... No, that we were lucky. 
and special. Okay, I was about to say, I'm assuming that not everybody that goes to the, the summer no, thing is living at dinner house. <laughs> no. We had met her in D.C. doing shows. She used to be the artist in residence for the Kennedy Center. And we met her when we were younger doing shows. And we auditioned like a thousand other kids. And she really just like saw a light, saw a light in us. And we, we weren't the best dancers there by any means, but she saw something special in us. And um, full circle, because we met her in 1998. It's a long time. We're co-producing a tap dance festival called the Hollywood Tap Fest with her this summer in LA at her dance academy. Like the beautiful thing about dance is that like you're like a lifer when you're in this. You know what I'm saying? Like we met her, I was eight years old. I've lived with her. I've driven her cars, cried on her shoulder. She's been at my college graduation. Like, you know, like you sell it's family. And it's this dance environment that fosters all this, which is amazing. Like the woman that you just met before we started the podcast, Faith. Faith was my sister's tap student at one of Debbie Allen's dance camps in Texas, where she's from when she was a child. We've been friends for 20 years. This marks 20 years we've been friends because of dance. And she's not even a professional dancer. She's a producer. But it's like the things you learn in these amazing dance programs, these dance classes, camaraderie, uh, finishing tasks, teamwork, um, pushing through things that are hard for you, just like life lessons and life values. Um, so it's very amazing. So I, yeah, so I did, I did 9th, 10th and 11th grade in DC and then 12th in LA. Got it. And what to, so has tap been like your, is that like the only dance that you did starting at what age? And like, what is that again from that one teacher or like, yeah. Cause also it seems like that's a bit more unique. We always hear more about ballet or I guess modern and hip hop, but even hip hop. (laughs) So tap has always been the thing, but we do everything. So I did ballet. I did hip hop. I did, you know, the whole gamut, character dance, Dunham, everything, flamenco, African. But um, tap is what really spoke to myself and my sister. And that's really what we have forged ahead with as professionals. And even as students, I always excelled more in tap. I love tap. It's loud. It's free. It's improvisational. You don't have to be skinny. It's a black art form, which a lot of people actually don't know. And like jazz, it's an African-American art form. Yep. It started, it's true roots are um, from enslaved people here in the United States. And so it's also like, especially as I get older, but even when I was in college, like just understanding the legacy of where tap dance comes from is so powerful that I love being a part of something that is has purpose and is meaningful. So yes, it is all tap, but we do, we do do everything else. But like, I wouldn't go out on a hip hop audition for a job tomorrow. No, people call me to tap. <laughs> but even, but even like going, uh, like through, yeah, high school and stuff, or when you were, I guess, applying to get into Debbie Allen, it's like, it's, it was like about tap for you, or did you have to like, for me, yes, like it was about tap. Different- and all the teachers knew that. Like, I'd be in advanced tap and like beginner ballet with all the littler kids. And I'd be like the biggest kid and I didn't care. Again, ego, there can be none. When you're trying to learn, you gotta choose, you gotta choose the learning and, and let go of the ego. I, 
I'd be in class with like kids who were like seven years younger than me. And all my friends would be the advanced ballet, but then in the advanced tap, I'd be like the youngest. So it was kind of like get in where you fit in. What was it like going to Debbie Allen's performing arts school and like in LA and like moving? Was that what, you know, it feels like that could be a big change. <laughs> it was, but it wasn't. I don't know. You know what? When your foundation is strong, you could be anywhere. And if you know who you are, I mean, of course, like I missed my mom and my friends at home, but I would go home for like, I went home for like Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff like that. But I also am a really good communicator and with phone, I mean, you know, it's not the 18th century, so we can like be on the phone, but this is pre-texting and pre like FaceTime. I did have a two-way pager, but I don't know. I never felt like, I wish I didn't do this. I was having the time of my life. And I lived with my godmom, Lizzie, and her daughter, who's my god sister, Samantha. And Samantha was nine and I was 18. And we shared a bedroom, a tiny little bedroom. And I just, like, I only have great memories of that entire year. And I learned a lot. It's like, be independent. Like, now you're essentially grown. I mean, I wasn't, like, grown where I was, like, doing all the things I want to do by myself. I still, you know ask permission for things. But it was like, get yourself up, get yourself to school, like do your own laundry, all that stuff. But I was, again, I've had a job since I was eight. So feeling very adultish, does it, didn't feel brand new to me. It felt natural. Like I like responsibility. What about the other people at the school? Like, was there, was everybody pretty like open or was there any sort of like, yeah, because Debbie is performing arts. Was it all different performing arts? Was it mostly dance, you know, it too? Was, and like, it's yeah, like all dance. Got it. So it was all dance. That probably makes it. And I went to Santa Monica High School. So I went to regular high school. And then you go to Debbie Allen Monday through Friday, four to eight, and then Saturday, eight to three. So then you like train as all dance. Yeah. But you were like moved across the country and starting a new high school then that is like, so you did start a new high school and then sure you have your like new dance family, but that's a whole different experience too. Well, the dance family was my same dance family because I had done the summer intensives. And at the high school I went to, I went to Sam Ohio. People weren't particularly friendly. I thought people were going to be all friendly. Like, you know, on TV, like the new girl comes and she's like the pretty new girl. Nope, nobody cared. And people weren't nice there. I think I made four friends at Santa Monica High School, but I had such a strong dance family that it didn't matter. And again, I was very confident. I knew I was really smart. I I transferred into Sam Ohio in October of my senior year into all AP classes. Like your girl was killing it. And then I applied to Columbia Early Decision, got in December 1st, and you couldn't tell me anything. Uh, at lunchtime, I didn't even socialize. I went and applied for scholarships in the library. So you were just like, okay, this is not what I expected. And I'm just going to get no. through this. Like, yeah. But I make and up if were, you didn't have dance. Like, it would have been horrible. Harder. Cause that's like, great, right. I'm just here and I do my classes. And then there's this. Yeah. Cause I mean, dance was like way, I was like, dance people are way cooler. Anyways, I went from a school where there were about 10 white kids to a school where there were like 30 black kids. And I was the only black kid in most of my AP classes. And when I got into Columbia, I remember this boy, this white boy said to me, um, oh, affirmative action. He said that out loud to my, to my face. And I said, yeah, your mom probably benefits more than I ever will. But again, I was empowered and intelligent and he didn't shake my like, oh my God, I didn't get it because I'm black. Like my mom is a white woman. Don't try to come for me, white boy. 
please have my family looks like you. I know what I'm like, uh, uh-uh. but again, if I didn't have my dance family and that foundation and that confidence, things like that can shake you. And then you go for the next four years in college, like, am I only here because I'm black? I'm not that smart, which is what he was trying to do. And I looked at him like, boy, please, you wish. (laughs) Totally. I mean, and it's still like that stuff can feel shitty, but at the same time, not take you down. Like, that's what I say. And I write about it in this, in my book that um, a judgment can only have power over you if you believe it to be true. So it can still suck that somebody says that. But if you're like, yeah, no, that's not the fucking truth. Like, so you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> exactly. High schooler, senior, senior boy. And, and who knows where that boy is? Probably somewhere still bitter and racist. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and it's like you just let people like that. You're like, okay. I'm like, you get hate on. And then, and then you know what I started doing? I started wearing. So when you get in early, they used to send you this like lanyard for your keys. Oh, I started wearing that thing every day like a damn medallion. Mm-hmm. Ah, I was like, well, I will get on your goddamn nerves. I will show that does, That is a different level of confidence. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm like, honey, I grew up poor in the murder capital of the nation. You can't, you can't, you know, like, uh-uh, I ain't the one. Now, obviously, you're a gifted dancer at these ages that are getting you into these opportunities. And so I make up because that is your mom not worried about what's your future, you know, because so many parents are like, that's how you're going to pay your bills for the rest of your life. You mean like in high school or as an adult? I mean, starting back then, even the fact of like as a senior, you're going to take that and then you you do go to college, which we'll get to what you're like studying too. But like, yeah, like is she, has she just like supported you the whole way or is she at all like, and also what else are you going to do? Oh no. Unwavering support, encouragement. She's like, look, we've been poor. <laughs> like, You might as well be happy. My mom has always encouraged joy, you know? Like, I love it. Poor. I love it. Also, who cares if, yeah, like money. go do what you want. <laughs> like, now, if you also, love it. It's- <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've known how to, when I was eight, I was making $200 a month. And let's think that's 1990, 1996 or seven. You know, I was, was making that from $200 sleeping? a month. Yes. And I was a miser. I saved my money. My mom was never afraid that we wouldn't know how to like make money. But her big thing was like, okay, if you want to leave DC, like you have to get good grades so you can get academic scholarships and Ivy leagues have the best need-based scholarships. So we all went to Ivy. My brother went to UPenn, my sister went to Columbia and I went to Columbia. My sister actually got into every single Ivy league um, and decided on Columbia. And this is from a one bedroom roach infested apartment and our mom slept on the couch. And our brother slept on the porch. It was like an enclosed porch. And my sister and I shared a room. <laughs> and that's how um, your entire will. like childhood was. Yep. After my parents got born. How did she instill was, so like she's a thug. She's the best. I was talking to her right before I got on this because she just got back from Uganda and she's like, jet lag is killing me. But she just does it. Like she doesn't talk about it. She just is about it. Like we would always be like, don't talk about it, be about it. It's a very like black saying my mom's white by the way from France, but she was the only white woman in our neighborhood in the ghetto, you know, in the hood and everybody loved her. 
everybody left her because she treated everybody with kindness. She always was trying to help people, even though we didn't have any money. Our our apartment was always the like, oh, um, I'm having a fight with my family or I ran away from home. Our home was like the place everybody came because our mom was never judgmental and accepted everybody. And, you know, we came from the, and we still live like this, like, and my brother, he would say like, if I'm eating and you're my friend and you're not eating, we're not really friends. Like if I cannot share with you, then what are we even doing? And we used to go out to eat one night a week on Mondays because it was all you can eat pizza at this place called Taliano's in DC. And we would go eat pizza once a week and we'd have these family meetings. I always tell people family meetings are the bomb. Like anybody's fighting or I got a C on a science paper. Oh, cause our mom did demand excellence from us, but not in like a, you'll get whooped, but she would just be like, why are you shortchanging yourself? Like, what kind of life do you want? You know, C's were not allowed. It was like, are you mediocre? Are you average? Are you excellent? C's are average. Like, we, and then because we we're also dealing with racism, that my mom is, you know, experiencing by, through us, she would, you know, I mean, you know, they say like when you're a woman, you have to do things, you know, 10 times better than a man. If you're a black woman, it has to be like a hundred times better than a white man. My sister's uh, English teacher in junior year told her, Chloe said, I want to go to Columbia. She said, I want to apply to Columbia. And the teacher said, mm, you'll never get in there. You should just aim for University of Maryland. And my mom, she told my mom and my mom, psycho, in a good way. <laughs> this is when bus stops had paper um, flyers still. You know, now everything's digital. And I don't know if you remember, there was a Kaplan, which was like SAT scoring, um, SAT test prep thing. So my mom broke one of those, a bus stop thing. There was a Kaplan ad that said, what if Harvard were your safety school? She ripped the poster out, cut off the Kaplan and, and literally taped on the, on the door of our apartment for when we exited, what if Harvard, and it says safety in italics, what if Harvard were your safety school? And that's what we left out to every single day. And like I said, my sister got into every single Ivy League, was a Gates Millennium Scholar, um, turned down Harvard, and because she wanted to dance and went to Columbia for free. Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption because holy shit, it is almost summertime. And while this is something we don't just need in summertime, yes, we do put a lot more attention on it in summertime. Sunscreen. I don't know about you, but finding sunscreen, not just for my body, but my skin has always been a challenge. Not my, my skin, my skin, I mean my face, right? My body's one thing. My face is a whole different thing. So I am recommending Blissoma's SPF 25 Broad Spectrum Facial Sunscreen and Moisturizer. Get this product if you hate the greasy and shiny finish of many sunscreens, if silicones clog your skin and cause acne breakouts, if you want to nourish your skin while protecting it, if you want your skin to look great and feel great even without makeup, and if chemical sunscreen scents irritate your skin and nose. Again, I have really struggled to find a sunscreen that feels good, looks good, doesn't have like the white tint on it, is made of good ingredients and actually like works and feels good. 
Their photonic spreads on skin like a dream and leaves a flawless finish while providing SPF 25 broad spectrum UVA, UVB protection. It's acne-friendly, whole raw oils and intensive botanicals provide your skin a banquet of nourishment. You won't find any skin-disrupting silicones. It's just vitamins and antioxidants that help skin rebuild every day. It does have zinc oxide, which offers stable, broad-spectrum protection that chemical sunscreens just can't match. But again, it gives you this daily sun protection without that white cast that a lot of zinc sunscreens do. There's a light pink um, hue. It's not just a tint. The pink comes from an antioxidant rich algae (laughs) extract. Yeah, it keeps your skin to staying calm with organic, regeneratively farmed herbs like Gotu Cola and Comfrey. Seriously, Blissoma is so thoughtful and intentional about everything they make Go check out their sunscreen while you're over there. Pick up a deodorant. Actually, I think right now they're still running their offer. So if you buy the sunscreen, you'll get, if you buy anything that's $40 or more, you'll get a free natural deodorant. And I have been, again, summer things, something you might want to up your game is your deodorant game. I have been using both their stick deodorant and their sprays. The spray is so nice to like have in your bag post-workout, you're out, you're sweaty. So go check out the deodorant sprays too. Go to blissoma.com. I'm like, maybe I need to have your mom on the podcast. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know you should. She's also really interesting. She's like an OG, like manifester, write it But down. also like as a parent, then it is like how to instill that in your kids where you're not then, you know, creating this like fear of perfectionism and stuff that too. Cause you, you know, see, you know what I mean? Like, how to want, how for like those to have the kids want that for themselves without sort of being like this. And if you don't, then you're, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a line there where some people really suffer as adults from parents who were like, you must get these grades. So yeah, I make up, she, I don't know, did it in a different way. She always gave us options. Like, oh, you can sleep with all those guys, but what do you want your reputation to be? She, and she, she the one thing she was very strict about One, we were never allowed to lie, always tell the truth. And she always said you had to choose, show your legs or your cleavage. But if you do both, you look like a prostitute. I still apply that to myself today. Like I won't wear like a super short dress with like cleavage spilling out. I'm like, you got to show your legs or your chest. If you show both, you look like prostitute and no shade to prostitutes. I'm not trying to, but you know, when we were kids, that was the best. And I was like, wow, she's right. I don't know. I, I, cause I used to have a podcast called the Modcast and I had my mom on there and then she had all these requests to come back. So I had her on two or three episodes because all these people had <laughs> all these it. questions and then I'm still supposed to do an episode with her. I'm going to bring the podcast back when I have some time about how to raise biracial or mixed kids without them being like lost and, and, you know, feeling half and all this stuff. People were like, can your mom, because. She did it right because you and you guys have no like, who am I? What am I? Who am I? We never had that. We never questioned that. She's amazing. And she's really funny and she's really nice and she still looks really good. She still goes to the gym. She can bench press more than I can. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh-huh. Okay, back. But she does not back dance. Back to you. Terrible dancer. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, I love it. <laughs> um, all right. So then. You got an early admissions to Columbia and was that then too? Like, yeah, was the, I'm 
they have a good dance program, I make up? Because you said your sister no. converted from... No, or no, not at all. No. We... Okay. So when you're so how did you plan, end up there? <laughs> so we never thought plan B. It was always like, how does X, Y, and Z help our plan A? It's like, you go to Columbia. One, it'll be free because we're poor. So if they do merit... I mean, they do need-based, like Harvard. Like if you make less... If your parents make less than like $100,000 a year or something... You go for free at all these Ivy Leagues. They have different price ranges. If your grades, it's like once if you meet all of these things. If you get in, you have to get in. And then once you're in, finances, they help you Um, if you're poor. what? Why did we go there? Oh, because one, we wanted to be in New York to dance. And two, it's like. You know, it's terrible to say, but I mean, we live in America and capitalism and elitism and blah, blah, blah. It's like, as a black woman, people do look at me differently when I tell them I went to Columbia. And even when I was a student there, there's a different level of respect. There's a different level. There's a different approach because you do learn a lot of amazing things there. You also learn how to, you learn, you also grow a network that you don't necessarily get everywhere because you're, you have kids you have kids of CEOs and kids of senators and kids of, you know, A-list, blah, 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 you know. And and you have kids from all over the world, international kids. So I would say we went there. Everything that I do in my business now, like so much of it, I did learn in college and not even necessarily in the classes. It's like time management, networking, communicating, following through balance juggling 30,000 different things. Cause at Columbia, they would be like, read these 11 books this week. It's like, that's absurd. I'm going to spark note half of these. That's what life is. Some of the things you gotta just have to do halfway to get by. But that's why we went there. And I love And that's it. like why and your I, sister chose that over Harvard too, was like also a lot of part of let me be in New York city so that I can be in dance. So it wasn't like they have a great dance program, but let me be where there's great dance and also a great exactly. school that I got it. Yeah. And Harvard, she was like, it's boring. I hate Boston. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So, and of course, living in New York is amazing. And what did you pursue there? And were you starting college, like, I'm going to be a professional dancer and just let me get this college degree? Or was it like, yeah, what did you choose to study? And what were the plans for being in college? I studied film studies like my sister did. Our our plan was like, we were going to be Debbie Allen. That's basically what it is. Like, we were going to be Debbie Allen. She directs, dances, choreographs, produces. And she would always say, do it all. Why would you ever limit yourself? Do everything. And I was an intern. And then I became an assistant on music video productions. So when I was in college, I was working on music videos for like Lil Wayne, Chris Brown, Beyonce, Buster Rhymes, Mary J. Blige, like Missy Elliott. I was like the coolest kid ever um, because I would be PAing on these shoots and I'd be learning. Cause I, like, I want to be a music video director. And then my sister, when I graduated, we're like, she was like, we're going to put tap on film. Cause we know how to do this. Cause she had gone to film school too. And that's how syncopated ladies became popular. All that stuff. We self produce self. We self everything. Wow. And how, when you were getting into like intern and PA, how did that happen? Did that happen through a connection you had through Debbie Allen or something too? Or like, how did you even get into being in? That happened through um, a woman who's actually really famous now, a director and music video director. Her name is Melina. She and my sister were at school at the same time, but she was at NYU. And they used, they were like film project 
friends. And Melina worked in music video land. And that is how I got looped into that world like six years later. So again, who you know, relationships, you know? And it was very easy for her to get me on my first job. She's like, oh, this is Ma. She's like my little sister. She goes to Columbia. So you know she'll get it done. And nobody's going to be like, huh. They just hear that and they're like, yeah, bring her in. And then I, I mean, I peed on, I don't know, a hundred music videos in college. Like I became known, like people knew me and I was a very good PA because I had no ego. I would pick up the trash. I would do whatever. And I loved it. And I learned so much. Love that. Cause yeah, I mean, obviously everyone has to start somewhere, but at the same time, people are like, yeah, doing PA is often like, yeah, you're doing the shit work. Go get this, go get the coffee, pick up the trash, this, but that's how you get your foot in the door. (laughs) And you have to understand that is, is like, if you look at it like menial work, then you don't really understand the way films function. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I have to pick up this trash because the set, I mean, the shot has to look clean. And if the, set, the shot doesn't look clean, then the thing is ruined. So it's like, actually, I'm very important. You know, like the PA. Yeah, like you're part of it. it. Totally. So it's, you know, I tell young people now and they're going to PA. I'm like, yes, you are the lowest on the totem pole, but what you do is important and do it with pride. And enthusiasm, because that's how you get promoted. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's how I my first career was as a sound engineer for touring bands. But I like basically like created my own internship at House of Blue Chicago because I wanted to do that. And it was like, yeah. And I I worked for free for three months, just di- kept showing up. <laughs> And eventually, and like, that's where everything started. And like, yeah, they eventually were like, I guess we're going to pay you to be a stage. And oh, I guess now we need a sound engineer because this person went on tour. Okay, now we need this. Like, yeah. But it was like, yeah, like when you're part of something, it's just, yeah, like, and I still, I think even no matter how old you are, if you want to like, people want to like start something new or try to get into something else, but then they're like, afraid to like go down on the totem pole or like start lower again. You know, like I think that that happens as adults. It's like you might have like done this, but also like, yeah, but if you want to enter in a new area or something or a new arena, then like you got to like be willing to go down and to then put yourself in that space to be like, I want to be here, like prove that you want to be there (laughs) to yourself and to others. (laughs) Exactly. Because the ego truly does nothing. And so it, it just holds you back. I have no problem. I told my friend that you met earlier, I was like, I'll PA for you. She does high fashion. I never worked in high fashion. So I was like, oh, that sounds like I want to learn because I like learning. I like, and I also like being around people. And I also, I also like to work. You know what I mean? Like it's enjoyable to me. You find the joy in it. So yeah. Yeah. So what, okay, so you graduated, your sister graduated and you ended up like creating your own production company? Like, yeah, now I'm like, we're like at a jumping to like, what has happened? I know you're involved with so many different things and still TAP is at the core of most of them or? Yeah, so we have our production company, Koyamon Productions. And under that we have Syncopated Ladies, which is our all-female viral tap dancing band. We have over 100 million views online. We have a tour. What else? A clothing line. I'm trying to think. And is the syncopated ladies, are you 
in it or you lead it? Yeah, I'm in it. Both. You are in it. Okay. Yeah. I was just on tour. In fact, I was just reconciling something from the tour recently. Um, Because we also produce it. Um, And Chloe directed and choreographed the show and I wrote it. Um, What else do I do? And then we also have Chloe Amon Foundation, which is a 501c3. Under that, we have the DC Tap Fest and which is the largest tap dance festival in the world in DC. And then we're going to be partnering with Debbie Allen with the Hollywood tap fest with our foundation. We also have after school programs and underserved schools in LA and in Brazil and three favelas there. And we also have girls empowerment dance camps. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, and yeah. And I am so excited we are about to release a guided journal for dancers, a first of its kind. I literally just got, I can show you too. It just got to my grandmother's house today because I thought I was going to be in DC, but then I'm not because the egg freezing. And that's the cover. And it just arrived at my grandma's. That's the sample. Yeah. It's called More Than Moves with Chloe Ahmad. And I am beyond excited. And it comes with pens and stickers and it's yeah wow what inspired you guys to create that we've been wanting to do it for years and you know you just i just listed to you i and i didn't even list everything that we do because i'm sure i'm forgetting things because i'm in the middle of producing two dance festivals right now but and i'm freezing my eggs so my you know i'm just i'm fatigued i would say and i was sick last week but we always wanted to do it because in all of our dance programming a lot of it is like mindfulness and intentions and like self-esteem and sisterhood and brotherhood building. And kids always ask us essentially the same questions. Everybody has the same questions. And I was like, you know what, Chloe, we should put this in a one-stop shop to, you know, to launch. And so it's a 12-week journey and every week has a different theme. So the themes can range from, range from mentorship to friends to dance And in each week, there's a little QR code at the beginning of each week. And that QR code takes you to a video of Chloe and I explaining, like, what is gratitude? There's a whole week about joy. It's called Modify. And it's like we explain what every, which each week means. And then there's a social media activity at the, for every week and a song of the week. So they have to dance or they have to celebrate their mentor on their Instagram or their TikTok. And it's also to help kids empower themselves with their phone and their social media, as opposed to just taking selfies and bathroom selfies and scrolling aimlessly and not learning or growing. Wow. That, um, I mean, I've created things, so I know how much intention it takes. I love all of the things you create. But you, what you've done even more levels, like, oh, and there's a QR code to a video and then there's a social media like activation, like how much thought you must have put in to all of these things and pulling it all together to make it happen. But um, I mean, that's so cool. Forever. Know that your website has always inspired me. I'm like, I'm like, I need to get, sit down and like finish these things. You know, like I love your cards. I love your keychains. I have your mug. I have like, I have so many things because people are like, what do you want? I'd be like, oh, go to this website and get me something from here. And I would always buy people gifts from it because it's just so spot on and it's so good. And joy is how I measure my success. And, you know, is the barometer for my success. 
you know, money is obviously great. We all love money. Money is awesome. But money with no joy is the worst. And a lot of, I mean, a lot of people don't have money, obviously, but a lot of people do have money and they spend their whole lives trying to get titles and monies and accomplishments and (laughs) accolades, all the things. And then they're still not happy. And that is what pisses me off the most, but I get, it's not their fault. That's why, again, like, that's why I'm do the work that I do to like shake people up. Like, um, so, so I'm so happy. I mean, and even, yeah, like, you know, going back to what your mom said about, yeah, pursuing (laughs) dance and like, if it were to like be successful. Newsflash, your life is happening right freaking now. And that is why I want you to be accepting all of yourself, all of your very human emotions, all of your past, all of your shame, all of your regrets, your body, your circumstances, all of it in the now. Because your life is happening now and it won't always be. But here's the thing. Acceptance does not mean settling. It means that you are meeting yourself with this deep compassion, love, kindness, so that as you continue to grow and evolve and shift and change, you're doing it from a place of love, from understanding, instead of making yourself wrong for who you are and for what has already happened and for what you are naturally wired to do. I want you to stop holding yourself back from saying, doing, and being what you want and start actually doing it. And if you want to stop making yourself wrong for how you do things or don't do things and start discovering and owning what works for the current you, join the shakeup. If you are done simmering in shame and regret for things that happened a decade ago or even that text message you just sent, and you want to meet yourself with deep love and compassion in the present while preparing yourself for how you want to respond in the future, join the shakeup. If you're ready to truly give up worrying, about what other people will think about you and instead be honest with yourself and honor what you think of you and your choices, join the shakeup. What's the shakeup? I am gonna take you on a 21-day plus journey. It's gonna be through a private audio podcast. You can make listen to it just as easily as this. You can only get access to it if you join the shakeup and then you're gonna have audio drops every single day for 21 days starting July 10th. They're gonna be short. They're going to be impactful. They're going to be potent and give you reflection points and action items every single day for 21 days. You don't have to do it all in 21 days. You can do it on your own timing. You can listen to them in the morning. You can listen to them while you're driving, while you're walking, while you're doing the dishes. You can listen to three at a time. You get to do it in your timing, making it easy for you. And there's going to be three live workshops. I'll record them as well for you to show up and get deeper into the content. And at the completion of the 21 days, you're going to get an ebook that also has all of the content that we go into in the audio drops and in the workshops with journal prompts, action items, challenges, pull out quotes, and more. So you can scroll through it, read through it for years to come. I'm making it super freaking easy for you to not just say yes, but to actually do the work of showing up for yourself and for your life in the now. 
We start July 10th. There are payment plans available. There is upgrade spots available. So you can get my full all-in one-on-one support as well as going through this shakeup journey. Go to yourjoyologist.com backslash shakeup and feel free to email me yourjoyologist at yourjoyologist.com or DM me at underscore Trisha Huffman with any questions, concerns, anything. My DMs are always open. Reminder, your life is happening right freaking now. Do not wait until you are on your deathbed or a loved one's deathbed to fully wake the F up to living your life. But yeah, how do you guys, because that is like all of these things that you're creating and putting out in the world, um, you know, even as you brought up the not getting the grant or whatever, right? So there is, I'm sure, a lot of things that don't work out. And just even, yeah, putting together a festival, all the ideas that you're having and creating and the foundations are in like, okay, uh, the program for people can't afford the classes, like you're offering so many things and like, yeah, how do you keep going when I'm sure it's not fucking easy at all to do those things, especially things that are not like, let me make a lot of money for you, but like, let me do good. <laughs> Unfortunately, doesn't always win. Oh my God. It doesn't. And I would say gratitude, like you ground yourself in gratitude. For example, I got denied or I didn't get this grant today. I haven't got, I got denied from like 10 grants this last month. And a fellowship I applied to, I got said no for the third time I applied to this fellowship. And it's like gratitude and also knowing that you are where you're supposed to be and allowing the failures to fuel you. Um, my sister and I always say, we say magnify the positive because there's always going to be negative. And so it's like, you got to magnify the positive. I mean, even for our dance festival, we lost $50,000 in funding. And that wasn't, that had nothing to do with us. It was um, just like a restructuring of something or other, you know, how things go. And I'm like, but am I saying no to kids scholarships? No. Am I still doing, I'm like, look, I'm putting it on an Amex platinum and I'm like, we'll figure this out. We'll figure this shit out at the end. Like that's where I'm at. I mean, literally today I'm booking flights and I'm like, well, it's going on a platinum. It's no limit. So we just go, what am I going to do? Stop doing what I do because I lost $50,000, which is a lot of money, but I also believe in abundance and $50,000 isn't that much money. It's not an amount of money that I can't figure out where to get funding from before the end of 2023. So I think it's like thinking in solutions, not problems and magnifying the positive and, and also being around people who will encourage you and who aren't going to be like, oh my God, you lost that money. What are you going to do? It's going to be terrible now. We're just like, okay, you lost that money. What's the plan? Do you, do you have to downsize or can you get the money elsewhere? Can you take a loan? Or can like, bring me solutions. Don't bring me problems and like Debbie Downer and all of that. So really it's a lot of who you hang around because people often ask my sister, like, and I like, what are your obstacles? And we always are like, hold on, we have to think about it because we're so quick to jump over it. And, and that's not to say like, it's important to acknowledge your feelings and all of these things, but like me getting turned down from a grant, I know it has nothing to do with me. 10,000 people apply. They pick 20. Hey, maybe they, for all I know, they could be like, we're tired of reading these grants. Let's just pick the names out of the hat and make sure that they, that their businesses are not, are not suspended, you know, like, and you just keep it, you keep it pushing and you have no ego and also gratitude. And I'm all around children all the time and kids give you perspective because all they want is some ice cream at the end of the day. They want a hug and some ice cream. And 
that you're like, oh yeah, I'm making all these problems. And if you're healthy, you really have nothing to be complaining about because health, I've had friends, you know, who have become paralyzed. I have friends who've gotten cancer about, you know, all types of things. And I'm like, if you have your health, you have everything you need at that point, you know? And it's like, okay, I lost this money, but I have my eyes, I have my fingers, I have my hands, I'm, I can do all of the things to try to get that. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I love that. Have you had, since you brought up the like not having people around you that are going to, you know, like not that like, yeah, that instead of like seeing the solutions for that, have you had to like learn to uh, like shift your relationship with people or like be aware of like, wait a minute, this is like. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, what do they say? Like cut, paste, edit or something, cut, edit, paste or edit, cut, paste something. And it's not like, oh, that person is a bad person. I also have had to recognize it myself. I work at the capacity of probably 10 normal people. I'm abnormally energetic. I'm abnormally ambitious. I have my, my sister too. We can work long hours, long nights and be fine. Like I've been freezing my, I've been taking, I took 29 injections over the last 10 days. I didn't get moody. I didn't quit what I was doing. I did take more naps. I slept a lot. Things definitely fell by the wayside, but again, that's okay. Like it is what it is, but I have had to give other people grace. Like they don't work at my level. So I'm not going to expect them to work at my level. When I realized that it, it saved me a lot of heartache because it's like, I just won't have those expectations. It's like, I can't expect me from you because you're not me and you're not working at that level. Now I do have friends who do work at this level, like the woman you just met. And that's why I met her house because we were doing work earlier. And it's not like I can't be your friend anymore, but it's just like, you got to limit the interactions or limit the way you spend time with them. Like, okay, we just go have fun. But I'm at a place in my life right now where I want to have fun and be productive and also elevate the conversation. Like I hate reality TV. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to even hear it in the background. Like, so it's like, if I have a friend who loves reality TV and they're watching at their house, I'm not going to go there because I know that that's not a healthy environment for my mental health. So it's, and it's not like you're, I hate this person. You're not losing a friend. You're just reframing it and adjusting it. So yes, I've had to do that a lot because the thing is when you're really productive and like really ambitious, if you're around people who don't, who aren't like that, they can start to resent you. And it's better to just separate yourself than have, because you kind of start to resent each other. Because then on my end, I'm like, you're lazy, you're not productive. And on their end, they're like, oh my God, all you do is work and all you do is care about work. So it's like best to just be around the people who, you know, you go do you, I'm gonna go do me. And no harm, no foul. Everybody should be finding their joy or their purpose the way that they want to. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's one of the most valuable things that we can do is pay attention to who we're spending our time with and how it influences us. And that too, it's like, yeah, we're all different. So it's not like we're judging the people or they're wrong or they're right. It's like finding the place for you, them in your life at right now. And it might vary later too. But yeah, I mean, and also I've had experiences my whole life with I – will be like, yeah, I'm going to go do this. And it doesn't make any sense. And I don't really have any, you know, <laughs> background for how that can happen and whatever. But I'm like, yeah, well, why can't I make it happen? And like that most people don't think like that. And so like, it's not fun. It is not fun to 
want to be excited about something to believe in yourself, to believe in possibilities when you're surrounded by people that are just going to tell you that's not going to work out. Choose the safe route. What do you think you're doing? Whatever. Because that's what the world has influenced them to do. And that sucks. Like it sucks. And so like learning to like, okay, separate, take space. And that doesn't mean, mean like you cut yourself off from them totally. And also again, it's like, that's not about me. That's them that they can't even see they can't see those possibilities for themselves. They can't see it for you. That there, many people are trained to believe, like, make safe choices. That's what's, you know, like, do this, but nothing's a safe choice anyway. Nothing's a safe choice because we don't know what's going to happen, especially if it's stealing your joy and your livelihood. It's not safe. It's, <laughs> it's not. It's the most dangerous. But it's like, I can see, like, though, they're coming from love in some messed up way by trying to talk me out of this or putting their fears on me. And also, I don't have to make myself available for that. Okay. Not at all. Do so, not disturb. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's like one of the most valuable things that we can do for ourselves is pay attention to who we're giving our energy to and our attention and who we're asking for advice and who we're listening to and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Okay. I feel like I could talk to you forever, but I'm going I'm like, to wrap up and get to the questions I ask everybody. I'll have to come back and bring your mom on. <laughs> yeah, she would love that. Uh, all right. What is a go-to, you can name more than one, to raise your joy levels? Like, if you're feeling bummed or something. Um, exercise, dance, and calling a friend. Love it. I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. So what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. What is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. Like maybe a natural way of being. What is easiest for me is procrastinating. <laughs> It sounds like you get a lot of shit my, done though, but <laughs> get my butt down and and complete a task. <laughs> um I love it though. Uh because yeah, I'm like, it sounds like you do do a lot, <laughs> but I'm the same way. Like I do a lot as well, but I'm a great procrastinator also. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, God, give me a deadline, please, please. These grants, I'll know about them for three weeks, and I'm like, ooh, ooh, like the night before. <laughs> I have learned to just also accept that about myself. Like, yeah, I get shit done. It might just be like at the last minute. It's like, oh, you're about to be interviewed for something or whatever. I could have prepared for weeks. No, let me do it an hour before the call. Like, that's just how I am. Like going back to high school, it's just like owning that part of myself. And also I learned to term productive product productivity, which I love too, where it's like, I know I'm going to do this thing. I'm committed to it. And yeah, right now I'm choosing this. And right now I'm doing this. And like, so it's sort of like seeing that what you're doing is productive because usually it will be like when I am not doing those, like, then it's like, oh, I have the idea or I have the breakthrough. Or like now I'm ready. It's like, I'm committed to the thing happening. And it's like, so that has helped mine. It's just like, I don't have to see procrastination always as a bad thing. Like I do have to get in modes of like, come on, this is time now. But like, all right, that's yeah, part of who I am. And <laughs> I still yeah, get shit done. Like embrace it. But I'm like, God, you know what I'm going to try to do once the egg freezing is done? Because my sleep is so weird right now. Is I'm going to try to organize my day in like hour blocks and see how that goes for a week and see if I'm productive. So I'm going to see. I'll let you know how it goes. I hear other people do that and that sounds miserable to me. <laughs> I know. Me too. But I'm like, so I had some very specific things. Like I wrote a children's book and I just need to edit it. And it's been sitting there to be edited for 
over a year. It, the illustrations are basically done. Like I just need to edit some things. And I've had the hardest, like, because I care about it so much and I just feel so distracted and pulled on. It's like, it has to really be like the best. So I really have to focus. So that's why I'm, I have like very specific things I want to finish. So I'm going to try this block thing. We'll see what happens. I'll keep you posted. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I get that. And for me, one of my main mantras is any minutes is more than no minutes. Any progress is more than no progress. Baby steps are steps. And I apply this. Like it, it the easiest things for me to put off are the things I most want to do that feel the most important that I care about. Oh, I didn't get around to it today. So I'll start it tomorrow. Oh, I only have whatever. And I've now like don't let myself do that. It's like, oh, I got to leave in 10 minutes to pick up my kids. So whoops, I don't have the time. And I'm like, you have 10 minutes. You have 10 minutes. And so I will open the document or whatever I'm working on. And it's like, oh, look at that. <laughs> I got things done in 10 minutes. It's like, obviously, it's a long process, but it's like, so, so take the any minutes. Cause sometimes, even for me, an hour, like, I'm just gonna work for this an hour. Then I'll like talk myself out of it. Oh, that's too long or I'll do it later. So it's like any minutes and like jump in. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> wow, I actually got things done even in 10 minutes. <laughs> Thank okay. you. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, that's like I apply that to almost everything in my life is any minutes is more than no minutes. I love that. All right. The last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It. What are you claiming for yourself right now? For myself right now, I am claiming generational wealth. And that is financial, spiritual, and emotional. Love it. Um, thank you so much. I've loved talking to you and, um, I'm so excited about all the things you're already doing and creating in the world. Like what an inspiration. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I really love talking to Maude and I really think I'll have to have her mom on at some point. She sounds incredible. Um, for more things mod, you can go to modarnold.com or at modipoo on Instagram. I'll have the links in the show notes. For all things me, yourjoyologist.com. I'm at underscore Trisha Huffman on Instagram and TikTok. I love hearing from you. I love seeing you share the episodes. So feel free to DM me, share the episodes, tag me, let me know you're listening, what conversations you're enjoying. You can suggest guests. You can suggest topics. My DMs are open. Of course, if you haven't yet, get the book, F the Shoulds, Do the Once. You can go to ftheshouldsdothewants.com. You can get chapter one and a collection of little chats, heart talks for me at yourjoyologist.com backslash gift and go check out The Shakeup. We start July 10th. Go to yourjoyologist.com backslash shakeup. All right. How are you going to claim some joy and or claim your life for you today?